Hey, what up? Hello, everybody. Alex Kapitko here, centered from Reality Podcast. First and foremost, you know, about once a month, I got to shake things up on you guys and have a podcast where the audio quality is not quite as good. What happened here is I have an hour and a half to spare up in Truckee before we do our trivia. The boys, we're getting back into trivia after quite a hiatus, like maybe a couple months. And I wanted to do the podcast before trivia. So I'm sitting here by the lake, actually, watching the sunset parked right by the water. It is epically beautiful, epically cold, and I was really excited because I was certain I threw my fancy microphone into the car to hook up in here to do the recording for, but here we are, and I do not. So we're recording off my Mac speakers. I mean, it could be a lot worse, for sure. But once in a while, I got to do a car podcast, so it looks like it's going to be that day. So I just got to say, though, it is just beautiful out here watching. We're, we're kind of getting into the Alpen glow now. We got some snow finally. Truly just a beautiful day. Still not enough for my liking for Nordic skiing, but went on a great run at lunch. And it's kind of one of those ones where you just float on top of the snow because it's light. Not many people have been out there. You don't get just soaking wet because of that as well, which is which is pretty damn awesome. So Basically, it's been a pretty damn good day, and I'm now watching the sunset go down before hopefully we win trivia again, because, well, I'll, I'll talk about that later if we do win trivia. But anyways, I, I also apologize for some of the episodes being a little bit shorter as of late. It's mainly just because life, holidays, all of that jazz has been just pretty damn busy, but I think soon the podcast length will be getting a little bit longer again. But today, basically, I wanted to just kind of do a little tour through what is going on around the Middle East right now. Some of it related directly to what's happening in Israel, but some of it not, but could also be a false flashing point or a tinderbox for something else bad to happen. And so, basically, if you guys haven't been closely following everything, a lot of death has happened over the last day or two, and I'm not talking about the over 20,000 Palestinians that have been killed because that's, we're going to talk about that, but that is another side tragedy, massacre, human rights violation to this. But today I want to talk about deaths and mass deaths that we've seen occur outside of Israel and Gaza, but might make this an, an even more volatile moment in the world. So before we get into the details, basically my key point would be that we are in quite a volatile moment for foreign policy right now. And boy, I, I, I hate talking about this topic as I look out at a beautiful sunset, but it's got to be done. So anyways, basically why I say this is a huge moment for foreign policy and just global affairs is because we right now have four major potential flashpoints in the region that basically could all be independently capable of metastasizing into something worse or bigger or some sort of conflict that basically brings in a bunch of different actors. I don't want to go as far to say world war quite yet, but these are all different flashing points that could at least lead to more global conflict and at least more regional conflicts that are interconnected. And so basically, basically, I mean, this is something we've been worrying about for a long time, something I've talked about on the podcast for quite some time, but it's the idea that we are seeing so many moving pieces that now the events are almost out of our control and really anything can happen. Basically, the way I would put it is it's a huge dry field of brush right now, and there's a lot of matches and gasoline lying around, and all we need is for someone or some event to ignite it. 
and we could just see it go out of control through the dry shrubs, chaos, whatever that may be. So to me, this is a really kind of scary moment. And a lot of people have been worrying about this for a while, and I think it's finally coming to fruition. So when I mention four potential flashing points, flashpoints, whatever, I'm, of course, talking about the Israel-Gaza war. Some call it a genocide. It's definitely a humanitarian crisis. There's that, so that's one. But I'm also talking about that simmering escalation on the Red Sea over Houthi rebels basically preventing cargo ships from getting through, but also now the U.S. are for the first time really directly firing on the Houthis and also more U.S. troops than ever, well, since we were in a war, are getting injured and attacked by drones from Hezbollah, the Houthis, etc., all Iranian-backed groups. So that's another volatile moment here. And then... I'm also, ta- I'm also talking about what happened yesterday, which is the assassination of a top Hamas leader in Lebanon. And then also today we have a remote accessible suitcase bomb, or two, I guess, go off at a memorial celebration for Qassam Soleimani's death. And that happened in Iran, and it killed at least 100 people. By now, probably more, but that was the number I saw when I was preparing for this. It was like 103, I believe. And so... All of these events are arguably happening quasi-independently from one another, but they're all related and I think show that the region is quite on brink and we really need to tread on all of this carefully. That would be kind of my main takeaway here. So the first one, I don't think we need to go into this one quite as much just because I've talked about it a lot and because everyone's talking about it, but this is, of course, the Israel-Gaza the direct conflict, the October 7th response from Israel. The one thing that we are seeing, though, is, of course, Israel is continuing to intensely attack parts of the south where we do have to remember that Palestinians were told to go before Israel was going to bomb the north, but now they're also bombing the south. And, of course, we're now over 22,000, potentially 23,000 dead. And so that is a tragic humanitarian mess. But... I've also been reading about a new, I guess you could call it a super bacteria that has been spreading in Gazan cities, obviously due to a lack of water, disease spreading, lack of sanitation. Even an IDF soldier died of this after exposure. So, you know, we we talk about the bombardments and the fighting and just the mass death from direct missiles, but... From every account I've seen, people think more people will, be, will end up dying from disease and starvation than from direct conflict. And so that is something we're starting to grapple with. And also at the same time then, this one is interesting to me, and this is the last thing I'll probably say on this though, is that even Bernie Sanders is now basically calling on Congress to block additional funding to Israel due to what he's calling disproportionate attacks on civilians, of course, and violations of international law. And... This is interesting because a lot of the progressive left, the pro-Palestinian left, has kind of been hating on him. Him and John Fetterman have been kind of big targets of that because they've kind of gone against the mainstream, gone against the progressive rhetoric on this. And Bernie was against a ceasefire, but it looks like he's even changing. And The Guardian notes here in quotes that Sanders issued a statement on Tuesday saying in quotes here, While we recognize that Hamas's barbaric terrorist attack began this war, we must also recognize that Israel's military response has been grossly disproportionate. Now we're looking at death passing 22,000 in Gaza, and it's a mess. And and this is, I mean, if, if if, if you're the Israeli government, 
not what you want to see. But then, of course, I think Netanyahu and his government's response should be getting criticized because it is not going to make anything better on the ground for anyone. And it's not going to bring peace or a ceasefire. It's just going to lead to more death and hatred. And Bernie Sanders has been, as of now, quite vocally out against Netanyahu. The Economist has a good piece I was reading this morning before work that was basically talking about how originally the idea was that the Netanyahu government waits this war out. At, at a, you know During a time of war, you don't want to have to hold elections and worry about all of this. But now they're like, you know what, this is going on too long. His government has botched this. They botched pre-October 7th, just didn't listen to warnings. And now at the same time, they are, they are indiscriminately bombing, disproportionately bombing, and it looks like there needs to be some sort of change of leadership. I don't know how that happens, but I think it is true that Netanyahu at the same time is kind of holding on to this because he knows once the war is over, he's out. So that is where we at right now. Also, okay, moving on to the second one. This is the one that happened yesterday. This is the assassination of Saleh al-Arari, who is a senior Hamas official. He was killed in Beirut in Lebanon. The Economist notes here in quotes, the UN peacekeeping force in Lebanon said it's deeply concerned over a potential escalation of violence in the region after a senior Hamas official was killed by a drone strike in Beirut. By the way, like I said, this guy is Salah al-Arari. And interestingly, In 2017, he was elected as a deputy chairman of Hamas. So that's kind of where he got into power. And he's kind of like basically the United States had already been putting out rewards for the capture or any information about this guy because he is known as kind of the guy that helped accelerate ties between Hamas, Hezbollah and Iran. So the Israeli intelligence and American intelligence, I guess you could just say a lot of European intelligence as well, kind of saw this guy as a key actor in bringing all these actors closer together. So there have been rewards out for just more information on what he's up to, but he was killed. And the economist notes later in that article in quotes, Lebanon state media said the attack was on a Hamas office in an area of Lebanon's capital controlled by Hezbollah and that Israel was responsible. Israel has not confirmed its involvement. (coughs) Excuse me. Now during my drive this morning, I was listening to a panel on the BBC and of course, one of the guests, English military expert, covers, covers foreign affairs and global wars. He was talking about how this does seem likely that this guy was killed by his Israeli intelligence, Mossad potentially, mainly because this guy was one of the only high-ranking Hamas leaders outside of Gaza itself that was apparently aware of the attacks on October 7th ahead of time. Because we have to remember that some of this caught certain actors in the region off guard. But this guy was apparently aware of it and helped coordinate it. But of course, he's now not in the region. He's in Lebanon, which is obviously much safer. Hezbollah support, all of that. Also, at the same time, we do know that Mossad have historically gone after perpetrators of violence against Israelis, of killing Israelis. We saw this happen after the Munich attacks by Palestinians on Israelis in the 1970s. They killed those Israelis and the Mossad hunted down the perpetrators of this. It took a while, but they did it. And so this is a common trend. So, I mean, Occam's razor to me would be they found this guy and took him out. And, and to be completely honest, this is the stuff I think Israel should be doing more of. Not, bon- not bombing Khan Yunus in southern Gaza where they told people to go. 
but instead finding the guys that perpetrated this and cutting them out of it, cutting off the wolf's head here. Don't kill the civilians, right? So I, I like this a lot more. And what I'm worried about, though, is what happens next in this, because just a few hours ago, Hezbollah put out a statement warning Israel against waging war on Lebanon, which I don't know if Israel's actually doing that. Yes, they have hit some targets inside. They have fired on Beirut. And of course, they targeted this guy. But I don't know if they're really waging a war on Lebanon specifically. And this warning, though, basically they're saying, Hezbollah's officials are saying that the actions of killing this leader will not go unpunished. And of course, we know that Hezbollah does have the ability to strike places like Tel Aviv and other cities deep in Israel. So there's always a threat of this for sure. But I genuinely don't think Hezbollah or even Iran really want a massive conflict. I really don't. But then you have to wonder, do you know tertiary actors like the Houthis or other groups like Islamic Jihad, do they maybe try to attack Israel or do something or heighten up attacks on the Red Sea or on American bases? All of those are possibilities to me that could be likely as well. And this is what happens, though, as well. Is like, what if there's a group or a, a, a sector of Hezbollah that does want to do something? I mean, this is another one of those flashing points where the tinderbox is it's not lit yet, but it's getting drier and drier and drier and drier. And that is troubling. And now the, the interesting one is that the Times of Israel has a piece out earlier today by Jacob Magib. And it discusses how the U.S. believes that Hezbollah is not seeking a full-scale war and does not want another IDF front in Lebanon. And so, I mean, I guess we can say that that is somewhat good news. I don't think any of us are going to be too disappointed about reading that, right? And I also think that that is probably the case, so far at least. Now, the third event that is an interesting one, tragic, very tragic, but interesting. And this is one of the ones that maybe is not directly related at all to what's happening in Gaza and in Israel. We don't know. But it's one of the ones that troubles me because Iran could be quick to blame Israel or blame the West. And it could be one of those false events that maybe pushes Iran and its allies towards escalation. This event that I'm talking about happened in Iran, and it was basically a terrorist attack that killed more than 100 people. And it was two explosions during a ceremony to commemorate the death of Qassam Soleimani. And just to remind listeners, he was, what was he? Sorry, I lost my thought. He was the leader of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard that kind of was, a, I would argue, a terrorist group operating around the world in Iraq, other areas, seen as a terrorist group by the United States. And under Trump, we took him out. We took him out. That was one of those events that happened kind of in the, in the right before COVID world. And so anyways... People were, this guy's a big figure, kind of a martyr cult-like figure in parts of Iran. He's popular with kind of the fundamentalist side of the Islamic, or of the Islamic Republic's culture. And so a lot of people were at this and a bomb went off and killed hundreds. And the economist notes here in quotes, the cause of the blast, which took place in the Southern city of Kerman is currently unknown, but the city's deputy governor described them as a terrorist attack. And from what I've read in the BBC, it's hard to know exactly what happened here and who did it because it looks like it was remote activated. It was a suitcase bomb that did this. And from my understanding, it doesn't seem clear that Iranians or at least the, fun the fundamentalists or the Islamic Republic people would do this. 
because Soleimani was very popular and became somewhat of a martyr after he was killed by the U.S. And he kind of stands for the heart and soul of the Iranian regime, of the Khamenei's. And whoever did this would be basically striking terror into the heart of the Iranian regime, of the Iranian government. And so Iran has blamed Israel, which of course I think would make actually more sense than the Islamic Republic doing it to their own people. But I think that sounds counterproductive. Israel has a lot going on closer to home, though we have in the past known of reports of Mossad attacks on leaders inside of Iran. So, of course, it could be the case. But I think I think this is some Sunni backed group that opposes Iran or maybe even ISIS or something or some group that it probably doesn't even have ties with Israel, but it, it's, it's a Sunni instead of a Shia group. And maybe this timing is just bad and it's horrible for global affairs, but it's not actually directly linked with what's going on in Gaza. And we have to remember that Soleimani had a lot of enemies abroad. So if people are at a celebration of his life or, a, you know, an anniversary of his death, I guess you could say, there could be someone who wanted to kill people out there supporting him. And that Times of Israel piece I discussed earlier also notes that high-ranking Biden officials that have more, obviously, access to information than any of us do, they've noted that this attack resembles similar ones that have been carried out by the Islamic State in the past. And again, I think this makes more sense, even though Iran is blaming the United States and Israel. It just makes more sense to me. So you have that going on, and of course, if Iran keeps the blame gang up and you know does think it's Israel or if Israel did it, that's another flashing point, another tinderbox in the region that, you know, I mean, hundreds of people are going to be dead. The last one I just want to briefly talk about, like I said, podcast is going to be a little bit shorter today because I got to get to trivia. But you also have the simmering crisis on the Red Sea that I talked about a week a week or two ago. And it could really boil over because things are escalating. The U.S. is not only getting into open confrontations with Houthi rebels now, which wasn't happening in the past, but we're openly fighting them now. But we're also seeing missile strikes and drone strikes injuring workers on these ships that are not military. They're not associated with what's going on. So this is civilians and workers. We also have U.S. personnel getting injured in the area. And also then we're seeing a myriad of countries, including the United States, Italy, and Spain, put out statements calling on the Houthis to stop this basically for the sake of safety for the people on these boats and for stability, but also for global trade. Because as I've talked about before, this is going to be a huge bottleneck that's going to cause chaos in supply change, rises in prices. Luckily, Christmas is over, I guess you could say, but not good going down the road. And basically, I think it's hard to imagine that like the United States and a force of our allies wouldn't eventually attack. Like if, if these attacks on shipping and these blockades keep going, it is not hard for me to imagine that we'll see some sort of response. And that could also be another flashing point. And this one's really tough because there are maritime economics involved. It impacts the global trade and mixed with higher oil prices, blockades outside of Ukraine on the Black Sea, all of this mixed up could really make things a disaster. I mean, 60% right now of container ships are taking the long route now around the Horn of Africa, which obviously takes more time, causes delays, 
more fuel prices. So that all goes to the consumer. When inflation's actually been stagnant now, we, we, we could see an inverse of that now happen. And then you also have the remaining like 30%, 35% of container ships still going through the Red Sea, but their insurance is spiking. I saw insurance went from like $700,000 to like $2 million, if I recall. Let me see. I wrote that down here because I remember it was a pretty troubling one. It said, yeah, the costs went from like $200,000 to over $2 million now. So that's also going to be pushed on the consumer. So this is the one that I think could actually cause a lot of hesitant countries to want to respond to the Houthis. But then what does Iran do? And then obviously Saudi Arabia has been waging a war on the Houthis. That, that, that of all four of the things I've talked about, well, other than the Israel-Gaza direct bombing we're seeing, but that's the one that I could see being a serious issue because the world economy is also involved in it. And also you just have basically proxy wars on proxy wars stacked up in that region. And it's scary. So, yeah, I, as I watched the sun go down, I just wanted to give you guys a little update on just the chaotic purgatory 2024 is already starting off in. So let me know your thoughts. We will keep following this. I hope we find out that Israel didn't do this in Iran because it would be careless and just be another action to hurt any case they have for this war at this point. I don't think Israel did, but you never know. So anyways, you guys can find me on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, you know the rest. We'll be back when I have a little more time, but wish us luck and trivia tonight. Adios.